Welcome to the Fresh Start Church Podcast, where we exist to influence a nation with revival. Here you'll find preached messages from our pastors. We pray that the spirit of revival is imparted to you as you listen. To watch live, check us out on YouTube or visit our website at freshstartaz.com. And to stay connected with us, be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook. The spirit of revival has a way of making all things new. It makes dead things live and living things die. Sometimes we need him to make us alive. Sometimes we need him to kill us. I'm going to release a word this morning with the help of the Holy Spirit, and I do need a lot of help. You want to hear something funny? My wife leaned over to me right before I was getting ready to come up here. And she wanted me, she said, the clock's not working on the screen. So she said, you may want to take your phone with you so you can see what time it is. That's funny. Oh, y'all not tracking with me. That's funny. Pick up your Bibles, please. Stay standing as we honor the word of the Lord this morning and turn to Ephesians chapter 3. I'm going to speak this morning on the magnitude of manifestation. The magnitude of manifestation. I'm going to read out of Ephesians chapter 3, first out of the New American Standard, then out of the Passion Translation, so just follow along with me. For this reason, I bow my knee before the Father from whom every family in heaven and earth derive its name. That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. So Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth. To know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly above all we could ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Okay, now, this is important. I want to I read this. This is so good out of the Passion Translation. We'll begin there in verse 16. And I pray that he would unveil within you the unlimited riches of his glory and favor until supernatural strength floods your innermost being with divine might and explosive power. Then by constantly using faith, the life of Christ will be released deep inside of you and the resting place of his love will become the very source and the root of your life. Then you will be empowered to discover what every holy one experiences, the great magnitude 
of astonishing love of Christ and all its dimensions, how deep intimate, how deeply intimate, how far reaching is his love, how enduring and inclusive it is, endless love beyond a measurement that transcends our understanding. This extravagant love pours into you until you are filled to overflowing with the fullness of God. Never doubt God's mighty power to work in you and to accomplish all this. He will achieve infinitely more than your greatest request, you, you, your most unbelievable dream, and exceeding, exceeding your wildest imagination. He, watch this, He will outdo them all for His miraculous power constantly energizes you. Now, we offer up to God all the glorious praise that rises from every church in every generation through Jesus Christ and all that will yet manifest through time and eternity. Amen. Somebody shout unto the Lord. His word is rich today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You guys can go. Hallelujah. You can be seated in the presence of the Lord. What I just read to you is what is called an apostolic prayer. Apostolic prayers are quite interesting. There, there's about 40 apostolic prayers in the New Testament. What fascinates me about these prayers is they did not originate with the apostles themselves. They originated from the very heart of God. What I just read to you was an apostolic prayer. These prayers burn in the very heart of God to the extent that he put them in the eternal scriptures. And according to Paul himself, all scripture is given by inspiration by God. So watch me. So as Paul is praying these, or writing these prayers, he's not doing it out of his own mind. He's not even doing it out of his own desire. He is praying the desire of God for his church. And we know this because it's in Scripture. If it had just been his thoughts. So you have to understand when you're reading the Scripture, especially when you're reading through the epistles and you're reading uh, the letters that the apostles are addressing the church, that they're not just thinking of stuff to say. Our Bible says that the, the, the wind of God blew upon them and men of old were moved by the Holy Spirit. This is an inspired word of God. And everything in it comes from God himself. No man that has written this book did it out of his own mind, his own concept or mindset. It came from the very throne of God. All scripture is inspired by God. So Paul, so Paul as an apostolic father, he's revealing what God desires to do in and what God desires to do through his church. So he's not just praying something because he wants God to do something. He's praying 
Because God wants to do something. And he just needed the apostolic father of the church to agree with him that this is what he wanted to do in the church. God wanted to do something. Can I submit to you that we have not seen everything that God wants to do? God is up to something big. And this prayer that is being released to the church of Ephesus is declaring that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all they could think and all they could pray. God is up to something big. So the purpose of this apostolic prayer then is to prepare the church for what I'm simply calling the magnitude of manifestation. Paul is up under the burden of revelatory intercession. And his intercession is bringing forth the fact that God wants his church to receive a revelation, wants them to receive revelation, knowledge, and understanding of the power of God, the love of God, and the presence of God. Paul is pressing into prayer that the church would catch it, that they would catch the revelation of the magnitude of the power of God that is in them, the love of God that is for them, and the presence of God that is all around them. He's praying that all three of these expressions would be found in their experience. In other words, he's not wanting them just to get knowledge about the power that is in, within, or the love of God that is for them. He's not just trying to give them more knowledge. He is obviously giving them knowledge, but he understands right here at this point because Paul has already released some deep things and some deep revelation. But now he stops in the middle of releasing revelation and he begins to move into this revelatory prayer. Oh God, help your church to understand this, that all three of these mighty revelations and truth might be expressed in their experience. And that all three, because all three are unlimited, all three, uh, the scope of their impact and their influence knows no bounds. And so he slips this phrase in there. Oh, that they may be filled with all the fullness of God. That's like God showing up and saying, hey, I want to give you everything that I am. He's, he's given the church, he's giving the church this insight that there is more than one kind of encounter. 
Matter of fact, he said there's a broad base of spiritual expression. Just here, he's just saying, listen, it's wrapped up. If you could really get a revelation of the supernatural strength and the power of God that is in you and the great love that he has for you and his presence that is all around you. Paul is getting so excited that he moves from an apostolic prayer to a prophetic praise. He does this in verse 20. Paul jumps from the, to, from the apostolic prayer to the prophetic praise. And, and, and in verse 20 and 21, th th this is what is known as a doxology. A doxology. It simply means an expression of praise. An expression of praise. Paul got so excited about God, what God was praying through him, he just broke out. And he said, now to him who is able to do. Now to him who is able to do. You see, do you understand that, that God is in a position of making things happen. He said, this God is able to do. He's an active God. He's a moving God. He said, yeah, he's got all power. He's love. He's in you. But I want you to know this God I'm talking about is able to do. He's in a position to make things happen. And you know what? Things don't affect God. He affects things. It doesn't matter what's happening. It doesn't bother God. He says, I don't have to worry about anything that's happening. He's the greatest power in the universe. He just jumps in and makes it happen the way he wants it to happen. God has this innate ability to be active with authority. So he just doesn't move. He moves with authority. This is why he said he will do exceedingly abundantly above all. If you go back to Ephesians 1.19, Paul again is praying. He's praying that the church, he said, what is, that they would know what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working or the activating of his mighty power. This, this, this is powerful. P please understand the key here. This is, this, is, this is important. Where we're headed is that he wants us to, God is saying again, it's a prayer. Oh, he said, I want him, I want him to know. I want him to know. I want him to experience the exceeding greatness of my power to them who believe. Everybody shout believe. Believing is still the target of God's power. He said it's moving toward those. If you are standing in faith today, the power of God is coming towards you. If you refuse to slip into doubt, slip into fear, slip into unbelief, the power of God is coming towards you. Whatever you need God to change, he can change it. This is good news, church. Good news, God never taps out. God never gives in. He is always going beyond what he has done before. He is always excelling beyond the last place of his excellent manifestation. He exceeds his own limits, breaks his own records, and stretches beyond his last stretch. 
Isn't that awesome to know that the God we've been worshiping never diminishes? So no matter how great the greatest, greatest, greatest revelation that you have ever had of God, next time he shows up, he will be more. He can't diminish. He is exceedingly great. I love the passage translation here in verse 20 and 21. Never doubt God. Never doubt God's mighty power to work in you and to accomplish all this. He will achieve infinitely more, more, more than your greatest request. Your most unbelievable dream. And exceeding your wildest imagination. He will outdo them all. For his miraculous power constantly energizes you. Now we offer up to God all this glorious praise that rises from every church and every generation through Christ Jesus and all that will yet be manifested. All that will yet be manifested. All that will yet be manifested. Think of your greatest moment of miracle, of supernatural, anything you can think of that shows that God is alive and well. And know this, you ain't seen anything yet. There are manifestations after 2,000 years of the church being in existence. There is more to come. The magnitude of I was meditating upon that phrase. It just came to me actually several months ago, and I, I wrote it in my Bible right there after verse 21, magnitude of manifestation. And I just kept coming back and thinking about it. And I was meditating on it earlier this week, and I, I really felt the Holy Spirit spoke to me, and it was quite staggering, and he said this. He said, the church must stop making decisions like I do not exist and my word does not matter. I'm going to say that again because somebody needs to hear that. He said, the church must stop making decisions like I do not exist and my word does not matter. I come to tell you we serve a present God. I come to tell you that our God is alive right now and it is time that we start thinking and praying and living and speaking like he is real and his word counts. I'm concerned that too much of the body of Christ today, we are living in the contradiction of what we say we believe. So, so many times, you know, we look at the word of God and we look at that as in past tense. Can I say to you, this, came, this text came alive to me when I realized God wasn't, it wasn't just Paul thinking of something to write to the Ephesians. It was God speaking through the voice and the mouth and the writings of Paul. Because today, this word is not speaking to the church of Ephesus. Today, this word is speaking to Fresh Start Church. 
Oh, originally it may have been written to Ephesus, but today it's written for us. Today it's written to us. Everything that I just read to you is ours. We can have it. We can have it. We can have supernatural inner strength. We can know the love of God for us and this powerful presence around us. I love the book of Ephesians. It's one of my favorite books, and, and it's so crammed full of theology. But to me right here, everything shifts. Chapter one, chapter two, into chapter three. Paul's loading us up with revelation, loading us up with theology, and then he stops and begins to pray this prayer. You know why? Because he said, okay, I've given you theology. Now it's time you get some walkology. In other words, I've given you a stuff to know. Now it's time you get up and walk it out. Come on, we got all the theology we can stand. We ever have all the eschatology we can stand. But somewhere along the way, we got to bring our theology and our eschatology right here in our walkology. Somebody shout yes. You see, theology knows about God of the past. Eschatology knows about the God of the future. Walkology knows about the God of the present. Oh, this drives our reformed brothers crazy because they want it to all be theology and eschatology. But I want you to know if I'm going to have a theology and I'm going to have an eschatology, I'm going to have a walkology. I want to meet that God, right? I don't need him in my past. I will need him in my future, but I really need him right now in my present. Peter called it present truth. It's when the word that was written thousands of years ago is still applicable to my life right now. And this is where revival comes in because you know it's got to come in somewhere. Because revival revival is a present encounter with God. It's not a past encounter. It's not a future encounter. It's right now. So this brings us to the John 3, 34 principle. When John is speaking of Jesus, he's prophesying and he said, for he whom God has sent speaks the words of God. For he gives the spirit without measure. I believe it was Smith Wigglesworth who prophesied that one of the greatest revivals that would come to this planet would be a revival of spirit and word. So revival is God manifesting his presence in greater measure than we have ever previously experienced without measure. Good news. God is not holding anything back. 
I, 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 let, let me, let me just stop here, and and let me, in in my own feeble way, try to paint you a picture of what the magnitude of manifestation could look like. When I begin to meditate on the word magnitude, my lightning quick mind. What? Ready? I think I'm slow of mind or something. I begin to realize that magnitude is one of the ways that we measure earthquakes. A magnitude for earthquake. Pick your number. That could the next, as my wife said last night, wave, manifestation, earthquake of God. Release two things. Because when you look at an earthquake, you measure it by its magnitude, but you also measure it by the level of the release of energy and its intensity of shaking. The higher the magnitude, the higher the energy release, the higher the shaking intensity. I submit to you what is about ready to come upon the earth out of the realms of heaven is something that we have never seen before. Even though we have seen earthquake revivals and outpourings and reformations, I say the magnitude of the size of God's glory and power and majesty that he's getting ready to release upon the earth is going to release the intensity of a shaking and it's going to begin to release energy and power. It's going to shake two things. It's going to shake the lost world with the very wrath of God before the coming of the Lord and it's going to shake the remnant into a place of purity. But the energy that it's going to release is going to release signs and wonders and miracles. It's going to release healings and deliverances and conversions. It's going to produce something on this earth. You said, Pastor, all of those things have been done, but it's getting ready to do be done on a mass scale that this world has never seen. I'm trying to paint you a picture of without measure. Think about everything you can think about in your mind, about what it could look like, and know it can be more. I was like, okay, I, I, can you give me something to work with here? Because hmm, my mind quickly went to 2 Chronicles chapter 5. You know, 2 Chronicles chapter 5, that's when David's bringing the ark back to the temple. 
They've been working. They've been planning. The temple is done. Everything is in its place. The band is now playing, and the band begins to worship. The Lord is good, and his mercy endures forever. All the instruments are playing. All the singers are singing. The priests have everything in order, and the Bible says as they sing, the Lord, and they lift up their voices, and they lift up their voices, and it comes alive into the atmosphere of a dead, dry temple. But as the people of God begin to lift up their voices, and they begin to sing, the Lord is good, and his mercy endures forever. All of a sudden, the heavens open, and a cloud fills the room. And when the cloud fills the room, our Bible says not even the priest could stand the minister. Everybody got on their face. Everybody bowed in the presence of the King of Glory. I'm telling you, the presence of God is about ready to come down on this people planet. Let your praise rise. The glory crowd is coming. He said, Lord, give me something in the New Testament. Takes me over to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Of all places, talking about the gifts of the Spirit. Five times in Corinthians chapter 4, it speaks of the unbeliever being in the midst of spiritual manifestation and how they respond to that. 1 Corinthians 14, 25, and thus the secrets of his heart, the unbeliever, are revealed. And so falling down on his face, He will worship God, and he will report that God is truly among you. I am always amazed at those who interpret that as saying, don't let the Spirit of God be visible in corporate. If you're going to speak in tongues, do it at home by yourself. If you're going to use spiritual gifts, do not use it in a way. That embarrasses people. I don't want to embarrass nobody. Obviously. But this tells me that when an unbeliever stands beside a believer and a believer worships God, that the presence of God will come in such a level that not only will the believer get on their face, the unbeliever will... So they tell us, don't move in gifts and whatever you do, don't pray in tongues. And you're, you would be surprised at how many Pentecostal churches don't let people speak in tongues anymore publicly. You know why? Because Paul did say this. He said, when you do it, they will look at you and think you're crazy. But he didn't say don't do it because they think you're crazy. We don't have to lay, we don't have to lessen our hunger for God because the world's gonna think we're crazy. I'm not gonna lessen my hunger for God because of the believers tell me I'm crazy. I'll be crazy. I'll be crazy for God. Because I know if he comes, it will change every life. If power from another world comes. Yes. 
when the glory of God shows up in a place so real that saints and sinners fall down and worship under the weight of the holiness of God. I'm telling you, there's a magnitude of manifestation that we have yet tasted. Smith Wigglesworth, no, actually William Seymour, 1910, prophesied and said, they will come a revival that will make this one, the Azusa Street Revival, pale in comparison. 1963, or 36, 1936, Smith Wigglesworth said, he had a vision, and he said, you will have the privilege to see and to participate in the most glorious, mightiest, sweeping revival that has ever been known in Christian history. In his vision, he said, untold numbers will be coming to Christ. Miracles like the book of Acts will come on a worldwide scale. Tommy Hicks in 1961, who was in the evangelist at the great Argentine revivals, had a vision and he said, in the vision, there was an awakening of a giant. It was the body of Christ. He said they have received spiritual power and authority on such a scale that has not ever been seen since the book of Acts. I'm telling you, we are headed for a manifestation. We are headed for the glory of God. It's been prophesied by the modern prophets. It's coming. It's coming. You say, isn't it here? I would be lying if I told you it's here. But I'm telling you what we have is pretty good. It is a foretaste of what is coming. So the proper response to this Manifestation of God is that we worship, we fall on our face, we declare he's in this place. Then they don't only line up when their favorite preacher's in town. They'll line up because his presence is in this place. Way. You know, very few people, but there have been some. Some women, great women of God. Some great men of God. Down through church history. Who have tapped into this manifestation. This magnitude of manifestation. I've already mentioned one of them. That was the evangelist, the great evangelist, Smith Wigglesworth. Who saw every imaginable miracle take place. One day a pastor said, I, I want what Smith Wigglesworth has. He said, I'm going to go pray with him. They entered into this prayer chamber and began to call out to God. And it was just a matter of moments until the presence of God began to fill that room. And it grew. And it got heavier. And it got weightier. Until finally that pastor's laying on his face. 
and he gets on his hands and knees. And he starts, because he said, I'm going there and I'm not leaving until I get all that God has. And he got up on his knees because he couldn't get on his feet. And he crawled over to the door. And while he was crawling over to the door, he was heard saying, too much God, too much God, too much God, too much God, too much, I can't stay in here, too much God. I'm waiting on the day until we cry, stop, it's too much. While the casual settle, the hungry will cry out. Too much. Ah, too much, Lord. So I spent this, this time trying to give us an understanding That our present access to the supernatural is an unending. It, 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 it. But too many in the church today, we settle for spiritual placebos. You know why pastors don't cry out anymore? Because their people have settled. Now, this is not an indictment against the people, obviously. Uh, a pastor ought to lead the way in crying out for more and experiencing more and experiencing revival. But you got to understand what I'm talking about. When a congregation says that that's enough, we'll settle with that. Most men and women of God will give them what they settle for. There needs to be a holy rebellion in the church that says we refuse to settle. Give us more or we will go where there's more. But spiritual placebos. You know what a placebo is? There's, there's nothing real about it. It's given to a patient to make them think that if you take this, you'll be better. But it has no substance to it. It has no reality to it. It's fake. It fills nothing up, changes nothing in your life. You can take one or you can take a hundred of them. It will have no effect upon you whatsoever. If the body of Christ doesn't shake itself and refuse to take the pill, there's been a mandate from hell. This is take the pill, take the pill, take the pill. But we are not gonna take the pill. We will contend for the magnitude of This moves me to my subtitle. Are you ready for this? Rest our church. Today, we need a new mindset for a new manifestation. I really expect you to get more excited than that. 
said, what are you talking about, pastor? I'm talking about we must raise our level of thinking to match God's present vision of revival. If I went around the room, what is revival? 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 I could probably get a hundred different definitions of what revival is. And you know what our answer would be? It would probably go back to our previous experience or knowledge or reading or understanding of what revival is. And so that's what we think it is. But God doesn't need the church to think what revival is. God needs the church to have a revelation of what revival is. So we must develop a mindset for the magnitude of manifestation. This is, this is quite a task. I'm thinking to myself because how can I think about something that I don't understand? I've never seen. I've never tasted. You know, our Bible says in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it speaks of a renewed mind. When you talk about a renewed mind... As a believer, you're talking about the intellect and the understanding of the things of God, the word of God, and the ways. But when you bring intellect and understanding into a thing, it's, it's, it's in our world, it makes up a mindset. Mindsets are not random thoughts about something. Mindsets are deeply embedded thought patterns. And these thought patterns are developed over time, maybe even a lifetime. It's the result of repeated thinking until it becomes second nature. So mindset. In other words, I don't even have to think about what I think about because I thought about it so much, I just do it. Mindset is a form or a formula of thought. If you think I'm getting secular on you, our Bible says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 2, set your mind. Set your mind on things above and not on things below or the earth. Romans 8, 5, 6 says, for those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. Those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded or to have a carnal mindset is death. But to be spiritually minded or have a spiritual mindset is life and peace. Paul seems to have an understanding that the effect of a mindset, uh, that, that the, 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 uh, the effect of a mindset has the power to create spiritual atmospheres. Yeah, spiritual act. See, this is important because you see, atmospheres produce things. Our Bible says in 1 Corinthians, let me just work this out. 1 Corinthians chapter uh, uh, 2, verse 9. I has not seen, ear nor ear heard, nor have it entered the heart of man, the things which God has prepared for those that love him. Not the things he's going to prepare, the things he has prepared. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things. Yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows, the things of man expects 
or accepts, excuse me, and the spirit of a man which is in him. Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. And then uh, 1 Corinthians 2.14, but the nature of man, or the natural man does not receive the things of the spirit, for they are foolish to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Bottom line, I don't even know what I think inside. You definitely don't know what I think inside, but the spirit of God knows what I think inside. And not only does he knows what I think, he knows what God thinks. And if I'm going to know what God thinks, I got to have the Holy Spirit to reveal to me what God thinks. You see, what we think determines the atmosphere we live in. If we think carnally, we can expect death. We can expect the atmosphere around our life to be heavy, fearful, full of anxiety, doubt, thinking the worst possible scenarios are going to happen in your life. It creates a dead atmosphere. There's no life. There's no joy. There's no peace. But he goes on and tells us that if you think spiritually, then you can expect life and peace. You see, we have to be careful that our natural thinking doesn't override our spiritual senses. Because if we are not careful, most of us have more natural mindsets than we have spiritual mindsets. And the things we do, we don't even think about them spiritually. We just do them out of our nature and out of our mindsets that we have spent. That's why the Bible says that we must renew our, do not conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might discern the good. Uh, the acceptable and perfect world. How, as the church of God, do we expect to discern God's present purpose without having a mindset that thinks about the things of God? A life-changing moment for me was when my wife and I were having lunch with Pastor John Kilpatrick. I don't remember which time it was. I just remember it was early on in our relationship and he was coming here. We've all heard his amazing revival stories, and he was, ta- he was talking about that first encounter that he had with God. When, when the outpouring began in Pensacola, that Sunday morning, and he stepped down off the platform. You can go on TV, you can watch it. It's, it's crazy. He starts to step down to help Steve, to help uh, the evangelist. And as he steps down, he just goes down. I mean, he just... Where's Pastor John? He's just, and, and I think he was there for hours. And that was such a marking moment in his life. He calls it, he said, he said, from that moment on, my life, he said, it's like, my life was like cut in half. And he said, there was before revival, after revival. Everything in his life was defined. This is the way it was before. This is the way it is after. 
Are you hearing me? And he made this statement. He said, since that encounter, he says, I always think about the Lord. Now, that's fascinating to me. I, I would be disingenuous if I said, all I think about is the Lord. Because I started thinking about what you, you know, you think about what you think about, and you realize you think about a lot of things. But I got to thinking about, man, that is so powerful. That he had such a powerful spiritual encounter with God. That even 25 years later, he said, all I can think about is the Lord. The goodness of the Lord. You see, church, I, I'm not trying to get mysterious about this, but my concern is, is that many of us, our mindset isn't in the place that the Spirit of God could even begin to reveal to us. I have not seen, ear has not heard what God has prepared for those. You see, I, 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 I want you to get this deep in your spirit. I don't want to get bogged down here, but I think, it, I think it's vital. And I think it's understand, that we understand that the, the magnitude of manifestation, that when God comes in greater measure, that it's going to make it harder for us to resist God's pull. It will demand a, a response that is appropriate to him coming in such a weighty, glorious way. I can't respond the way I've always responded. He's going to pull something out of me. He's going to demand something out of me. I'm going to have to understand this is God moving in a whole nother way. I can't respond like I did the first year of revival. I can't. I can't worship like I did the first year of revival. I can't pray like I did the second year of revival. I can't dance like I did the third year of revival. Oh, y'all ain't getting this. You see, as a revivalist, you are not allowed to stay at the same level you came into revival with. If you're living the same way, thinking the same thoughts, giving the same definition, then it's time. Renew your mind to the things, the ways, the purpose. You know what one of the hardest things in my life is right now? Is I can't worship the way I want to worship physically. Drives me crazy. I'm getting pretty. I'm getting better. So, so, so you may be thinking like, why does Pastor have that that towel? And why does he wave it? And why does he spin it? What's wrong with him? Well, you see, right now. In my physical condition, I can't jump the way I want to jump. I can't dance the way I want to dance. And I thought, man, I got to get beyond 101. You know, 101 is clap your hands, lift your hands. If I'm looking for a manifestation of God's presence of power I haven't seen yet, so I got to come up with something. So since I can't dump and I can't dance, I got me a wave offering going. You know what? 
If you're physically able, because I get it. You got injury in your body, pain in your body, or you're just old. I get it. And you can only do so much, but anybody can do this. This ain't a sweat towel. I don't sweat. I don't sweat. That's because I got low fat percentage, you know what I mean? I don't sweat. Jasmine, be nice over there. There's a reason you wear a tent. Anyway. So, 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 you, so you, you're swinging your, uh, so you, uh, I done lost me the anointing right there. The point is, if we're still worshiping at the same level where we came into this move of God, it's not a physical problem, it's a mental problem. I got the wrong mindset. I think it's enough, but it's not enough. I got to figure out a way to lift up a high point. Does it feel weird doing that at first? But you get over it. Some of y'all could get over a whole lot if you would just give it a try. we think we're letting our thoughts hijack a greater experience with God y'all want me to press on this a little more because I can press on this a little more have you ever thought about why you don't think you need to come to Gap. Obviously, obviously, if I ask anybody that question, it would be the epitome of spiritual arrogance to say, I don't need to. So, so why... Why, why don't you go to Gap? Why, why don't you go to Revival Weekend every service? Why don't you go to Deeper? Obviously, we all need to, right? Because we're spiritually hungry people, and we're not spiritually arrogant, thinking we don't... Okay, I, I just let the, the cat out of the bag. So here's the problem. We know we should go, but we don't think we need to go. I said, I said, you didn't get it. I said, we don't think. I don't think I need it. I don't, you do need it. And we wouldn't do it if you didn't need it. I, we, but you think you don't need it. All I'm trying to say, if you're sitting out there and you have reached your spiritual capacity, maybe you need a mind shift. Maybe you need your mind renewed to the things of God, realizing the things of God are more important, more valuable than anything else. Your mind has hijacked your experience. Can I get a witness? This, this, my friends, This, my friends, is the life of a revivalist. As revivalists, we always live in the tension 
of resistance and response. You can't come in this place and be neutral. Either you're going to resist or you're going to respond. Oh, you could come here every week and sit in this story every week, but every week you make a decision. Am I going to resist or am I going to respond? Am I going to hear the word of the Lord about a mindset or am I going to resist that and say, my mind is just fine, thank you. Let me see, as I quote Pastor Kim, if I can bring this plane in for a landing. So the struggle, because it is a struggle. I've been in this thing my whole life and it is still a struggle. The struggle is that our current mindset limits our ability to go all in for God and the things of God. So what do we need, Pastor? What do I need to do? You need a complete mind makeover. Do, do you realize that one of the words for to renew your mind, one of the words for renew is renovate. HGTV. Don't act like you don't watch it. HGTV. It used to be Fixer Upper. Then there's Hometown. Oh, I can give you this. There's the Property Brothers. Fixer the Fabulous. It's endless. But have you ever seen them? I know you have. It's every show's the same. But I can't stop watching them. Think I want to do some house, all run down, old, dilapidated. And they go in the house and they say, We're going to tear this wall down, and we're going to tear this wall down, and we're going to put a wall here, and we're going to put a new bathroom in here, and we're going to put a $15,000 kitchen right here. Oh, rock the block. And we're going to get everything just right. And it's going to be a beautiful home. Can you see it? I can't see it. But they draw it all down. And guess what? The first thing they do is demo day, demo day. And they come in and they begin to knock down walls. They begin to knock down structures. They begin to move things out of the way. Mm. And then before long, they put up new walls. They put up new fixtures. And before long, it is a beautiful home. It has been renovated. But here's the deal. Before they ever went to demo day, they had a vision of what it's supposed to look like. And they said, this doesn't fit in the vision. Take it out. This doesn't fit in the vision. Take it out. This doesn't fit. I'm telling you, it's time to do demolition on our minds. And it's time to begin to remove everything that doesn't fit God's vision of future revival. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty in God. For the pulling 
down of strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that is not itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. I have come to declare it's demo day. Thank you for listening in to the Fresh Start Church podcast, where we exist to influence a nation with revival. You can order Pastor Kim's book, Doorkeepers of Revival, at doorkeepersofrevival.com. And you can listen to Fresh Start Revival Worship on Apple Music, Spotify, or wherever you stream your music. Thank you for tuning in. We'll see you next time.